Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. We are now remote, and we are learning so much about what it takes to keep your people engaged and productive. The balance between communication and micromanagement is often the biggest challenge. Here's what we learned so far. Consistent communication with ultra flexibility is working. Encouragement to take care of yourself first, i.e. a walk, a bike ride, or step away, is increasing productivity. And virtual happy hours are helping people to forge a stronger team camaraderie. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to help entrepreneurs and hiring managers win great hires. We share insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, industry experts like our guests today, Mr. Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey. They're the founders of Barefoot Wines. Beginning with virtually no money and no wine industry experience, they employed innovative ideas to overcome obstacles, create new markets, and forge strategic alliances. Michael and Bonnie pioneered worthy cause marketing and performance-based compensation. They built an internationally best-selling brand as a result and were acquired by Ernest and Julio Gallo. Today, they offer their guiding principles for success and Shelf Smarts courses to help consumer product brands build and achieve success by maximizing their value of their human resources, which makes Bonnie and Michael the perfect experts for today's topic. Michael and Bonnie, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Thank you so much. We're delighted to be here. Yeah, great to be here, Rick. I'm delighted to have you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, we're going to be breaking down the virtual challenges today, and we're going to talk about how to build a company culture in an off-premise workforce. Sound like a plan? Excellent. Yes. We're going to talk about off-premise and then how to hire for off-premise because a lot of companies are still having challenges with that. And my company, as well as a lot of people that I've been working with, have been battling this for a little while now. So we've learned quite a bit. So let's talk about some of the challenges that you guys see today as far as an off-premise work environment goes. Well, I think it's obvious if you're not in the office with all your coworkers, you're not getting that kind of feedback that you're used to, that you've been getting on a regular basis. You're not there to get some ideas for the challenges that you have and some support. When you're online, but you're off premise, you're pretty much isolated. There seems to be a real lack of camaraderie and teamwork. That's a big problem in itself. Yeah, I think another problem is when you do commute to work, remember those days, you get the alarm, you get the shower, you get the coffee, you get the breakfast, right? You put on your clothes, you go down, you get in your car, you drive half an hour to work or whatever, you go up the stairs, somebody greets you. You're making a commitment. It's a physical commitment and it uses a lot of the senses. It uses your eyes, your ears, your sense of touch, everything. You smell things on your way to work. Okay, that's all gone now. So you just click icon and you're there. You're doing your work. So there's no real preparation. You don't really set yourself up for work. You don't have any quiet time in the car. It doesn't happen the way it used to. So you don't really have this kind of commitment to work that you used to. The routine is gone. You don't have that time to prepare for battle before you go into the office. And I don't know about you, but I miss that. Yeah, Or even wind down on the way back. People say I'm fighting traffic, but they're not really fighting traffic. 
what they're doing is they're relaxing. They're going, man, I got to think about this. That's part of the problem. Another problem is, like Bonnie was saying, daily encouragement, but there's also this balance between micromanagement and coaching that goes on in the office environment where you have some person who is your go-to person that says, you know, Michael, I overheard you on that last call. Things would have gone differently if you'd done this. Next time, ask him this. But it's on the fly. It's on the spot. You're not getting that. So we've lost a lot of that instantaneous feedback, contact, and commitment that we used to have when we send people home. That is true. And it's really easy to hide when you're at home. It's really easy to disappear and not be engaged. That's been a fear of a lot of the CEOs that I've talked to is like, well, I don't know what anybody's doing at any given time. You just have to kind of trust (laughs) that they're doing the work, hopefully. I imagine there's a lot more loss of engagement out there than any of us are willing to admit and put up with. Yes. And the other big problem that's happening too is turnover, because now that you are more isolated and more insulated from your job and the people there, it's easier to jump ship because you don't have that social relationship that you used to have. And so the biggest problem, we see two problems. Number one is engagement and the other one is turnover. They need to start with those problems and focus on how they're going to solve those two issues. All right. So let's talk about the reducing turnover one first, because I find if you've got a great culture, it's really hard to lose people because people want to stick around. They know they can go work somewhere else for more money probably, but that's really all the other company has to offer. If they love working at your company, they're going to stay. But the challenge is now you're going home and you don't have these things. How do you keep people really engaged and wanting to still be there? That's a good question. And I think there's a lot of employers that are asking that right now. First of all, I think regular meetings is really essential where you get everyone together that's in a team or even in the company, depending on the size of the company, so they can see each other. So it's a virtual meeting. So it's audio and video, and they can discuss things on a regular basis, not once a month, because too many changes happen within a period of a month, but maybe once a week or even once a day would work. So you are seeing your coworkers and you are getting the kind of feedback that you're missing by being in the office. You can do that socially too. We have one client, fully remote company, and every Friday they have a virtual happy hour and they're hugely successful. Everybody joins in and everybody grabs a scotch or a beer or whatever, and they BS for an hour. And it's become a really strong bonding tool for everybody. I like that idea a lot. Yes. So it is social that they're gathering. That's the purpose of the gathering. And it's not just business. That definitely would build teamwork. Yeah, most definitely. I also would like to add to what Bonnie said. I think that culture is kind of like a flywheel. You know, you get it spinning, but you have to keep it spinning. And if you don't have it spinning, it slows down, slows down, slows down until it finally stops. And so the idea is how much of that cultural inertia and keeping that flywheel going was caused by the physical office setting and what is required now in the off-premise office setting. Part of it has to do with your company's culture and how you communicate that culture to your people. In other words, are you a sales-oriented company? Are you a customer service? 
service-oriented company. Do you have very strong values about how you treat other people, whether they're co-workers or how you treat a vendor or how you treat a customer? These are the kinds of things that are involved in company culture that during the day, you can hear and see people behaving a certain way, treating people a certain way with certain manners, say, and then all of a sudden, no more manners. You don't get that reinforcement. So why should anybody want to behave a certain way and get that message across to them? That's the real challenge. Actually, what you're saying leads us into the increased engagement piece, because now what do we need to do from an engagement perspective to keep people active, to keep them really wanting to do better when they're <laughs> depressed at home, <laughs> for the lack of a yeah. better <laughs> well, they got to be excited about their job. That's for starters. Sure. And, and the company they're working for. And, and they have to understand how their job and the company they're working for produces good in the world, mm -hmm. not just goods and services, but maybe stands for something like clean oceans or clean air or something that they can relate to that maybe has nothing to do with work. Maybe it's the way they share their profits with their employees, but they've got to get their employees all on the same team so that they feel feel that they've got a stake in it somehow, whether it's I'm a surfer or I want to see clean beaches, I want to see clean ocean. Hey, this company is supporting the Surfrider Foundation. Ooh. So that would be an example. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You have to realize too, if you're a CEO of a company, that the cost of a bad hire is significantly increased and it's probably more dire now than it was before this whole thing went down because it's so much harder to onboard people. And when you lose somebody, it's pretty devastating. You can lose not just one person, but two to three. You can also lose a lot of your customers. Yes. Particularly if you're a salesperson, you lose the relationships that those employees had with your suppliers, your buyers, your contracted services. Those are all essential to success. Now, you guys shared with me offline that you guys had a really good retention rate. Can you brag a little bit about that? Because I think that's really impressive and people should take note of that. So what was your retention rate? We didn't have any turnover in the last, I don't know if it was five or seven years of our business, but a good length of time. Before the acquisition. Yes. Right. But you know, that didn't come about because we were so smart. It came about because we'd made every mistake in the book <laughs> and we finally realized it and we realized what we were doing wrong and we started to employ doing the right thing. That made a big difference. So we had a change in culture. It came from the top. All culture comes from the top. Absolutely. And we learned how to hire. We learned how to onboard. Yes. Onboarding is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical. And onboarding is so much more than here's the coffee room, here's the bathroom, here's your go-to guy. All right, don't get into that yet because we're gonna get on that in a second. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're gonna take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional resources on how you can land great hires. Our guest today is Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey, the founders of Barefoot Wines. We're discussing the challenges of building a virtual workforce. We just discussed some of the challenges that we have, and now we're going to talk about how to do it. So you guys are going to share some of your ideas and some of your methods in which you guys were able to build a great team. Let's start out with, I think you shared with me, the very first thing was really finding good people and building them in 
into gray people. What does that yes. mean? <laughs> well, the interview process is really essential, particularly as a starting point. You've got to get the people in there that you want that fit with the rest of your team. So the first part of our hiring process, like a lot of different companies, was talking to them on the phone. And we'd have various people talk to the candidates by phone to start with to see if they thought they were fit. Then we would take the finalists and they would all come into our office at the same time. But let me back up a little bit. How did you find those good people first? Because that's always the biggest challenge. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. So it depends upon what the job is. But let's say it's sales. We would go to our buyers and we would say, who's your favorite salesperson and why? We're looking for a salesperson to service you. Who do you think would do the best job of servicing your account? Boom. And the idea is you're not just getting the right person, but now the buyer feels obligated to buy from this person that they've recommended. So that's one little tactic that we used. That's a great tactic, by the way. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But the fact that you took the time to do that, a lot of people won't do it. So getting out of your comfort zone and calling your customers and asking them who the best person is, if you get one thing from this show, do that in your recruiting efforts. Oh, yeah. You're going to save tons of money and time Absolutely. and heartbreak. Oh, yeah. yeah. You should be calling your customers anyway, I would think. That shouldn't be difficult. It should be something that you do on a regular basis. Now, let's say we're hiring somebody that relates to a vendor. We would call the vendors and we would ask them what representatives that they worked with in other companies that they liked and why and what they were looking for. If they didn't give us a name, we would get some great insights about what that particular supplier needed mm -hmm. to provide us with their goods at a lower price and provide us with warehousing and extended credit and terms. Why? Because we got the right person talking to them. What, what if you needed a technical person, like an engineer or somebody outside of that realm? Somebody who's not customer interfacing. How did you guys find those people? Those are interesting. We actually had an engineer come in to apply for a job. So we knew that he came from a company that had just folded. And so we said, tell me about your last job. I understand those guys folded. What happened? Oh, it was the salespeople's problem. I don't have anything to do with sales. I'm an engineer. We said, well, thank <laughs> you for applying barefoot. Good luck on your career. Why do I want to hire an engineer who is washing his hands of sales? Because we <laughs> believe that the engineer is probably one of the biggest reasons why the product is selling or not selling. And he better know what that feedback is from the salespeople people and the customer service people in order to do his job. So when we would hire an engineer, we would listen for and not to what he said. We would listen for him talking about how he addressed problems that his company was having with sales or customer service through his engineering job. Now, you guys broke down your company a little differently. So you only had two divisions to your company. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> yes, we did. So many companies say that they put the customer on top. Well, if you're going to put the customer on top, then you've got to put sales on top and customer service because those are the people, those are the departments that talk to the customer the most. And right under the sales department is the sales support department. And sales support is everybody 
in the company that isn't in the sales and customer service area. So that for us, it was our winemaker, it was our marketing director, it was our point of sale manager, it was our bookkeeper, accountant, CFO, CEO, it was the VP, it was even the P. (laughs) Everybody was in sales support because why are you in business if you're not supporting sales? That's where the paycheck comes from. That is so important, especially for our technical companies who are building a product. Number one, first and foremost, it's about the customer and your direct line of the customer is your sales and support team. We had a two division company, sales and sales support, and that was it. How do you build good people into great people? You overkill Uh, on orientation. The first thing that happens is day one, they're hired. By the way, we should just step back a little bit. We didn't hire anybody who didn't research our company. We didn't hire anybody who didn't know that we were getting our butts kicked in their territory and tell us how they could fix it. See, so in other words, they had to have an interest in us before we had an interest in them. So that's one of the things that people should keep in mind when they're trying to hire themselves out is do a little research research on the company you're trying to get hired by. 100%. And that would come out during the interview process. Yes. That is something a lot of people fail at in the interview process is they don't do their research before they go into an interview. Do your homework. Exactly. So to your point, now you've made the decision, you know, you've interviewed them, the people on the staff that are going to work with them have interviewed this person Mm -hmm. and now you're bringing them on board. Right then, we like to say the cement is wet. You can move it with a trowel. If you let it get hard, you will need a jackhammer. So what are you going to do with that trowel? See, this is why you have to overkill on orientation because in the first 24 hours, the person you're hiring makes all the answers happen in their head if they don't come in through their ears or through their eyes because of information you give them. In other words, they will answer the questions they don't ask and you'll be working with them and a year later, they'll do something just outrageous and you'll go, what? And they'll say, well, I always thought it worked like this. And you'll say, no, it doesn't work like that. But you see, that's your problem as an employer. That's not really their problem. So this is why we believe in things like the money map and two division company. Yeah. What's the money map? Okay. On day one, we would give people an infograph. By the way, it's going to be available to your people in the show notes. Anything we're talking about will be their graphic form. And we give them a graph and the graph would show their paycheck, would show them with the money in their hand. And then that's at the end of the map. That's the treasure. That's the pirate's treasure, right? Now, the actual treasure starts with the community, comes out of the community, becomes the customer. The customer goes in, in our case, goes into a retailer, makes a decision, but they can't do it unless the clerk has put our product up. And so then that won't happen unless the money is given by the customer to the cashier. The cashier takes the money, gives it to his boss. His boss pays the bills, buys our product from the distributor in our case. So then the distributor gives him the product, takes the money, pays their bills, gives us the money. We take it, we pay off our supplies, we pay our overhead, and what's left we use for salaries, bonuses, vacations, and everything else. So by giving them that map, they see the big picture. They don't think that Michael and Bonnie have a big (laughs) rock candy mountain out behind their house so that if they ask for a raise, we can just go shovel some gold into their trunk. They go, oh my God, it does come from the customer and I see how my job makes that happen. Um, I like the idea of shoveling gold into the trunk though. (laughs) It's surprising how many employees don't realize where the money comes from or they don't care. They think the owners are rich. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's the end of the story. They don't realize it really comes from sales, comes from the customer. And how much of that money is split, 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 split. You're getting a piece of it, but it's just going up the chain. In our case, if somebody spent $10 for our product, only $1 would come back into the big pot that paid for all the salaries. See, and that's including profits because that's how much overhead there was. So like most companies are working on about a 10% profit margin. Some people will brag and say, I'm working on 20, 30% profit margin. Forget about it. Most companies are working on 10 and they're lucky if they are. <laughs> we're overkilling orientation. So we created the money map. We're doing the two division company. Anything else that you really need to be cognizant of when you're overkilling your orientation and making sure that you're training people properly? Yes. We also had a chart we called the seven sales because in our company, the product had to go through seven different sections or people before it got to the end user, which was the customer, the consumer. And each one of those sales, quote unquote, had to do with everyone who touched our product, starting with our own employees. So we had to convince them, work with them, so they understood the value of what it was that we were offering and they had to appreciate. So that's the first sale. And then there was the owners or highest management of the distributor. That's the next area that had to be sold. They had different needs. They wanted something that would fit well in their book, something that they didn't have already. Then it went to the sales manager. Each one of these had different needs and had different people on our staff that had to support those needs. The sales manager, he wants to make his numbers. He wants to make sure that he gets the number of sales every month that's going to give him a bonus. Then his sales people, they wanted some money in their pocket for everything that was sold. So we had to work with our sales people to bring in sales and give it to them and give them a portion, some money that could go into their pocket. Then it gets down to the retailer. Well, the retailer wants something different too. He wants a little excitement. He wants some point of sale material, marketing material that's exciting in his stores. And he wants the supplier to bring in people to buy the product. He wants something that's going to sell. It's going to turn over. Then we have to work with the store clerk. We've got to work with the person that re-inventories, reshelves the store. So if we're out of product, we're not going to make any sales, are we? And the person that restacks the product in the store is the stock boy or stock girl. We have to give them a cap. We have to show them appreciation for what they're doing. And then we've got the community. We've got the people that come into the store to buy the product. So we have to support the community and what their needs are. And if we can support all of those seven sales, then we can be successful. But as they say, the chain is only as strong as the weakest link. So we've got to make all of those sales and satisfy all those different needs all the time to be successful. So when people are hired, part of that orientation is here are all the people with all the needs and all the motives that are necessary for you to make your check. And by understanding that, we actually give a course called How Soft Skills Earn Hard Cash. And it really is about soft skills. It has to do with relationships and communication and tone. And I don't care if it's an email or even a text, people can tell what the tone is. And so how do you get your people who are now representing you from home to have the right tone in their communication? They have to appreciate what every person wants all the way down the chain. Unfortunately, most entrepreneurs jump right to the end user. 
They say, I would buy this, wouldn't you? Look, it's cool. But they don't realize they can't get it there. No, providing a roadmap is just really smart in making sure that everybody understands every piece of the interaction. I don't think that we put enough time into that. Even when you're an entrepreneur and you start building your business plan, you don't really start thinking about these little things. So creating that roadmap for a successful hire is critical. That's probably why you guys had seven years of never a bad hire in retention. That's amazing. All right. So what would be the last piece of this? It's really teamwork. It's all working towards the same goals. And we would have regular meetings. We would have meetings every month with our salespeople. They'd call in from all over the US and we would have our entire sales support staff in a conference room. And we'd hear all the challenges, goals, and opportunities in the various territories from our salespeople. And we'd all work on a solution and how we could improve matters and everything. And during one of these meetings where everyone's involved and working towards the same goals, there was a problem in Florida. We got a test market and a huge chain had like 700 stores. Well, we got 70 stores and we could put 10 cases in each store and we had to sell it within 45 days or they weren't going to take our product. Well, the good news is that we got a test market. Yay. We're all happy about that. But then the salesman said, well, there's bad news too. They put us on the bottom shelf. Well, that's the last place anybody wants to be. Well, somebody said, well, we're barefoot. I guess we'll pick up the foot traffic. So <laughs> we all enjoyed a laugh about that. And someone else said, well, you know, that's not a bad idea. Why don't we put these big decals with a big purple foot right from the front door, walk them through the store, down the wine aisle, and then turn them to face the place where our product was. Then they're going to wonder why they're there. They're going to look down. They'll see a sign that says barefoot with an arrow on the bottom shelf. So right away, we've got them laughing or at least smiling, right? So you're halfway to a sale there. So they'd oblige us because they'd already walked all the way there. They'd pick up the bottle and it worked so well that yes, we got the chain. Wow. We got the whole chain by putting the feet down. In fact, we put the feet down in many places throughout the whole US. And who do you think came up with that fabulous idea? Oh, it's probably the most unlikely person in the organization. Absolutely. The receptionist. See, yes. great ideas come from everywhere. We shared with everyone. And that's why it's really important. And it builds teamwork. And you don't want to lose any of the good ideas from your team. So you've got to share what your challenges are. So a lot of companies won't share their challenges with their people, but they're missing mm -hmm. a boat because mm -hmm. the people are already committed to the company. That's how they're making their income. That is their career. And that's where they're improving their skill sets. The real issue is, do they care about you? What are they doing? What is the action they're taking that shows you that they respect that you have an intellect, that you have an interest, that you have a stake in this company? And we think it is asking people their advice, whether they're qualified to answer or not, because you might get something crazy, but then because something crazy is said, you might get something brilliant that's completely <laughs> you know, out of the box. And it might come from the receptionist, for God's sake. God, I love that story. That's such a fantastic story. All right. Well, we're getting pretty close on time. What 
what would be two or three key takeaways that you can give the audience so they can plug into their business today? Understand that when you hire people, besides just looking at their resume, you want to understand their personality and help them to grow in the ways that they are most talented and best at. So Open true. your mind up to the idea of giving them other opportunities and sharing your challenges with them. That will help them to grow and then you'll be getting a great employee. And then the other thing too is show respect for their intelligence, their commitment to your company. Ask them their opinions. And don't just ask them their opinions. If they come up with good opinions and you use them, be sure to tell the whole staff, show public recognition from the highest place in the company. Mary, our receptionist, came up with this brilliant idea. Now everybody knows two things. They know if they do like Mary, they're going to get that kind of recognition. And now they have more respect for Mary. So both of those build teamwork. So don't be afraid to say things thank you publicly, I'd say is, is probably the second one. And overkill on orientation. Yeah, right back to day one. Yes. Yeah. Move that cement with a trowel. Well, if you <laughs> give somebody a plan for success, they're going to be successful. If you leave it to their own core, they're going to make a lot more mistakes. Right. These days, we're trying to dumb down the job. We're trying to make it cut and paste. We're trying to give people scripts and whatnot to make the job easier. But actually, we should be giving people more chance to use their humanity on the job and yes. make decisions and work with people because people buy you, they don't buy your product. That is so very true. Well, with that, we're just about out of time. Michael and Bonnie, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of our community can find you, reach you? I know you guys have a couple books. How do they find that? They can get everything at thebarefootspirit.com, www thebarefootspirit.com. You'll find a lot of information on that site. One of the things you'll find on that site is something we're doing new that's pretty interesting. It's mm -hmm. in your part of the world. In fact, we're working with some of your colleagues. We have what we call Business Audio Theater, and it's a 1945 radio show approach to telling the company's story. So you mm -hmm. send your people home, they're off-premise workers now, and you give them an MP3, which is an audio book, and they listen to it. But instead of having somebody read it to them, they have actors and actresses with sound effects and mm -hmm. music performing the story of the company. And you hear the gal trying to start it. She's out of money. There's a knock at the door. They're trying to collect. The phone's ringing. I mean, it's like the real world. So the idea is you identify with the proponents. You want to see the proponent succeed. The proponent has these challenges, overcomes them, succeeds, and you're hearing it all while you're jogging or driving or changing your baby's diapers or vacuuming your house. It builds <laughs> engagement. And that's what we're looking for is engagement. That yeah. is super cool. All right. I encourage you guys to check that out. Thanks for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power Radio. A quick thanks to our team, Christopher Decker, Andrea Ballin, and Ella Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We're listening. We welcome your feedback. After all, this show is for you. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Hire. That's H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Or you can drop me an email at Rick at StrideSearch.com. Tune in next week. Our guest is going to be Bruce Marble. He is the co-founder and CEO of Employee Cycle. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you've been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live Show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success, Rick Gerard.